Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. It's such an opportunity to be in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan and be in this church. I've longed to come here for over a year and get to meet you. I so appreciate the work that uh, many of you working with them for years with the Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie to, to establish such a wonderful church. I had so much fun preaching. Actually, even though the first two points I gave in the first message, I preached them before, the other stuff around it was kind of new. I got to hear it for myself for the first time, and it turned out pretty well. And I, I encourage you that uh, what you're going to hear now is actually the second part of this particular message that I teach in our schools. Um, and so you really should have a chance to get it and, and, and watch it all. Um, and I think by the time we get done with this one, the first one will be available. So just let you know that. And for those that's, that's watching uh, as well, um, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless, we bless your church here. And we bless the people that comprise it. And we bless the name of Jesus. And we pray that our lives, theirs and mine, would be lived in such a way that we bring glory to you, Father, and to this, your Son, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to uh, speak to you on the subject of the thrill of victory, and I'm dealing with uh, five principles that are true and biblical, and I will uh, give you some scriptures for the three remaining uh, principles that I uh, did not get to in the first message. And, and then I also need to just share this, a little bit of, of repetition from the first so you'll not be lost. Normally in a message, you have your points and your illustrations support your points. And so we, we are all trained to think that way. And I'm saying that to say this. I'm going to give you the principles, the points. I've said they're biblical and they're true. And all of my illustrations are going to contradict them. Because there's really only one point in this sermon. And that is grace triumphs over principles. And when you make principles triumph over grace, what, we, what was called in the faith cure movement in the last quarter of the 19th century uh, was the healing movement, faith cure, very similar to word of faith today, is that if you meet the conditions, God will heal. A.T. Pearson, a Greek scholar and uh, from early friend of Pentecostalism, wrote a book on the atonement and uh, in the back of it, it, it asked the question, and why aren't more people healed? And, and one of the responses was, well, it could be because we're not meeting the conditions. And, and I feel that when we turn principles into these laws, and the enemy takes, you know, like in the Old uh, New Testament, Paul was writing about the law of the Old Testament and said it was meant for good. But the enemy came and used that which was meant to bring me life, brought me death. And by it, I became aware of my sin. And so it was just talking about 
the enemy, Satan, the word Satan means accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. And one of the things he will love to do is convince you why you're not worthy. God won't use you. You're not holy enough. Some conditions not being met. Now, the two first conditions in the first message, without repeating any of it other than to tell you what they were, was the condition of faith and sin in their life. And all of my illustrations were people who were healed, who didn't have faith, and who weren't even saved, including a prostitute, including a, a young woman who had two children and had been out of wedlock and was living with a man who had never been born again, and a guy who had uh, just a few weeks had been before had been justified and was such a new Christian, he didn't know he had a whole lot of sanctifying still needed to go on in his life. And all of them got healed. And so, uh, as we pick up in the, in the third point, our third principle, and that's going to be, and I'm going to tell you what the principles are going to be. Uh, I was telling Pastor Dwayne that my wife and I are wired differently. I think in stories. I, I, I picture things in my mind. Uh, I remember stories. I, I, I struggle with remembering like rules, of, like grammar rules was so hard for me. It just, I needed a story that could have made sense out of them. But my wife is just the opposite. She needed points. I am a much better communicator today because I married my wife. I was telling on the way home on our first time I preached after we were married, I was fishing for a compliment by saying, what did you think of the message today? And, and my wife, her least gift is mercy. <laughs> it's true. She's so honest. She said, what were your points? And I said, what do you mean, what were my points? All you did, she, all you did was tell stories. I said, the stories were the points. If you got the story, you got the points. She said, no, no, no. I need points. I need you to tell me where you're going to take me. Take me there, and then when you're done, tell me where I've been. And I realized, because I had been well-trained in school, that is, you know, the way you're supposed to do it. Except this is an unusual sermon. I have a point. The point is grace triumphs over principle. So even if the enemy comes and starts to accuse you or the person you're praying for that they're not meeting the conditions, you're going to stand on the rug of peace, the rug of grace, and say, God may still choose to heal. And one of the easiest places to see healing is amongst the lost, and especially the lost that are poor. In that marginalized community, often you will find this, the amazing things happen because he is so gracious. Jesus had a whole lot friendlier attitude toward the broken and marginalized than he did the religious uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. I think he's still like that. So here are the points, principles. Number three, the principle of the anointed person. And that's based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, when Paul asks the question, do all have gifts of healing? Do all work miracles? He says, are all apostles, are all prophets? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all work miracles? And, and so on. 
And the answer demands, the question demands the answer, no. Not everybody is an apostle or a prophet. Not everybody is a worker of miracles or have, not everybody has gifts of healing. Now, having said that, you don't have to have a gift of healing to be used for healing. You, I'll put it this way. You, this would be easier to understand. You don't have to be an evangelist to lead somebody to Jesus. You may not be in the office or role of an evangelist, but you can still share the gospel and see people get saved. More people will become a Christian if more Christians share their faith and invite people to Jesus. More people will be healed when more Christians pray for healing. Even though you may not have a gift of healing, you may not be noted as a healer or a worker of miracles. It doesn't make any difference. As I shared a little bit in the first, part of discipleship is at the top of what we were, the disciples were to, the new converts were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and said, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Luke 9, the 12, and Luke 10, the 70 or the 72, who are sent out at the, in the top of their commission is to preach the message of the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out demons. This is kind of like when they get to the Great Commission, this is discipleship 101. This is something we are to be about. And then one of the easiest ways to share your faith about Jesus is find somebody in a need and meet that need in love. And one of the greatest needs that people still have and one of the reasons why the early church exploded in growth was the average Christian prayed for the sick and knew who they were in Christ and who Christ was in them and were able to do uh, deliverance. So number one, principle or number three today, following up on the other two, the anointed person. The, the fourth principle we're going to talk about is feeling the anointed, feeling the anointing. Um, Jesus in Luke 8 felt the power go out of him. The woman with the issue of blood felt the power come into her. There is a reality that there are times you literally feel, tangibly feel the anointing of God. Sometimes you don't know how, what it is. I remember uh, when I started the church in St. Louis, we had a person who came into our home for the first time. She was a, 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 a grateful dead. You know, she's a deadhead. And she was into the, that scene and wasn't saved yet. And as we were worshiping in our living room, we didn't have a building yet for a church, she starts weeping. And she's actually asking, why am I crying? I understood the answer to that. You're crying because God's love is touching you right now. She had no clue why she was crying. See, sometimes you can be experiencing the presence of God but not know how to interpret it or understand it. And that's where another Christian can help us to learn. That's the love of God. And I told her, he's drawing you because he loves you. And she was easy to lead to the Lord, but she didn't know what that was. Even after we become a Christian, there are times that God could be speaking to us 
I remember when I was pastoring and I'd been a pastor 14 years and I could put on one hand the number of people I'd seen healed. Five <laughs> in 14 years. And in three days, I become exposed to so much more information and experience that all of a sudden now I begin to understand so much more of the different ways God can speak to us and understand how to co-labor. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow morning. Actually, uh, there's a gift a call on my life to pray for people, to see things activated by the Holy Spirit. I'm not the one that activates them, but when I met John Wimber, the first two times we met, I was pastor of a small Baptist church, very small, 150 people on Easter, counting the dogs maybe. And, it, and the, it was very small. No reason to believe that God was ever going to use me in a mighty way. But John heard God's audible voice. He only had it happen three or four times his whole life and two of them the first two times we met. And the Lord spoke to him and he told me this right before he died that God said, I'm going to, speak to myself, I'm going to use him. One of these days, I'm going to send him around the world and I'm going to use him to pray and the, the Holy Spirit will activate gifts in people. And uh, it took 10 years from the January 84 to January 94 when it actually started. So I have, I know this is part of the call in my life is to teach. And, and I believe in all the offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all of them exist for one thing, primarily to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to equip the saints that they are involved in ministry. It's the greatest privilege of my life and greatest joy is to see people come into the reality of what God can do through them and in them and move away from, I'm going to try to be good until Jesus comes back because it's hard to be good when there's nothing to do. I mean, when discipleship involves going to church and being good, it, it can be real tempting. God never intended it to be just that. He intended it to be, I invite you into my life. I invite you into one of the greatest, most exciting opportunities where you can hear the God of the universe speak to you and learn how to recognize when he is. So when, when the, this team came to my church, um, like I said, I had been a pastor 14 years then, they began to say, here are the ways that God communicates. Here's the way you get a word of knowledge. Here's the way prophetic prophecies can come. Here's the way that you can see what God is doing in somebody you're ministering to and actually recognize what those things mean. All of a sudden, my Christian life exploded with excitement and a new understanding. And I just began to see so much more than I'd ever seen before. I just want to give it away. I want to teach others what, what, I've, what I have learned from others. Some people, if they knew John Wimber, they would recognize that some of what I teach is almost word for word what I learned from him. I'm not too proud to acknowledge that I'm indebted to those who've gone before me. That it's, it's, it's okay to say this is not original. I, I, somebody taught me this and now I want to teach what I've, what I've learned. I, I love to see when some of my spiritual sons and daughters exceed me. 
they begin to see more than I see. I love it because I don't think you can really be a good spiritual father if you're jealous or intimidated when God starts to use the people you're discipling more than he may even be using you. I remember the first time I was at Bill Johnson's church, that was happening in my intern at the time was 18 years old and he had first time he was ever with me and we were in Bill's church my first time there I gave some words of knowledge and and then uh, I asked him his name was Ben Ben do you have any words he says I think I do he came up I'd given say six or eight words of knowledge for healing and he gave words and as he's given these words I'm feeling so excited look this is my intern I he look how how fast he's learning. Look how God's using him. So he got to six. He got to eight. That's what say, say I, mine was eight. He's now at where I was at. I'm right here, right? I'm so excited, so proud of my spiritual son. And then he gave nine and 10 and 11. And subconsciously, this is um, subconsciously, I'm backing away from him. Subconsciously, I am feeling threatened by my spiritual son. Even consciously, now, I'm aware that I don't really like what's happening. And I'm thinking, this is not looking good for me. I'm supposed to be Elijah. He's supposed to be Elijah. And it's not time to be double what I am. You know, that's too, this is too fast. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, and by the way, he was almost exactly my oldest son's age at the time. He said, if this was your biological son, would you be backing away? If this was your biological son, would you be threatened or would you be happy? Would you be excited and celebrating the fact that I'm using your biological son more than you? And I said, Lord, if it's my biological son, I would not be feeling what I'm feeling now. I'd be so happy. And then the Holy Spirit said, you cannot be a spiritual father until you can treat your spiritual sons that way. And in that moment, God healed my fear of seeing others come up and accomplish more than me. So much so that... Um, sometime later, Will Hard oversees the ministry for uh, Roland and Heidi Baker, and, and Will was, uh, I am a spiritual father to him. And uh, so Will's an interesting, fun, loving person, but we did this conference together one time, and he came up to me and said, Randy, I am so excited. I said, Will, what are you excited about? I said, my tape sold more than yours did at this school. How do you, Randy, I sold more than you did. I outsold you. And I realized, God really has healed me. I am so excited that you did. I mean, I really was. I could celebrate that. You know what I would love is to hear stories of some of you who have never maybe seen anybody healed when you prayed that you just get this week this week, today, tonight, tomorrow, something happens. And God does something in you sovereignly. And, and I'm successful at preaching to where that you actually believe God can use you more after this message than you did before. What I'm trying to do is take away the impediments. I'm trying to take away the, the, the principles that the enemy can use that are true and biblical and say, for these reasons, don't expect healing right now trying to remove that so that you actually will believe God will use you. And then the third one is uh, moved with compassion. And throughout several times in Scripture, it says moved with compassion, Jesus healed the sick. Three principles, the other two, faith and, and uh, sinner life, makes the five principles that we're talking about. Uh, so I want to now come back 
or, and, and, and illustrate them. Um, if you would have been present in the first service, I talked about a woman I prayed for, and I was not noted for healing. It was one of the first 25 healings that ever occurred in my life. And, and, and I admit, I'm, I am in kindergarten when it comes to healing. The praying at it, that's PhD level praying for the sick. I am not there. My faith, I know one day I want to get there, but that's not where I'm at. I'm in kindergarten. I, I really hadn't seen very many people get healed. I was not known as a person gifted in healing. So 30 years later or more, um, that changes. So I want to tell you two stories. When I first was at the Baptist church, when I hadn't seen five healings yet, I, I, I had been almost killed in a car accident, got healed. That's why I was interested in healing. And uh, paralysis, a lot of things were wrong um, with me. And uh, I, I'm very sympathetic and empathetic to someone who's in severe pain. I was taking 50 milligram of Demerol morphine derivative every three hours to deal with the pain. And so I'm, I heard, I'm, I'm visiting somebody in my churches in the hospital, and I heard a woman moaning across the aisle. So I went across the aisle of the hospital, across the hall, knocked on her door, and she invited me in. And I introduced myself. Hi, my name is Randy. I'm the pastor of the Spillertown Baptist Church. I heard you moaning. I know you're in pain. Can I pray for you? Now, you have to understand, I've seen less than five people get healed in 14 years. But I have a hunger for healing. I know there's a call in my life to pursue healing. I just, I just don't have a breakthrough yet. And, uh, and so I fear, I, I'm thinking this way. I need to practice. I need to pray for as many people as possible, you know, to get this breakthrough. And so I, I want to pray for her. I also feel compassion for her. And I said, so can I pray for you? And she says, it won't do any good. I'm thinking, she's right. I mean, 99% chance that she's not going to get healed. And she, but, but don't tell people what you don't know. Don't, don't tell people how unanointed you may be at the moment because you never know when that's going to change. And uh, so I said, well, um, the worst thing that could happen is nothing would happen. We have nothing to lose. He said, well, it won't do any good. So I, and I found out you know, that she was a woman coal miner in southern Illinois, underground mine, and the roof had caved in, and she had had this leg amputated about right here, and it hit her in the head, and she had massive damage in the cervical vertebras, and she's in really bad, excruciating pain. And so I, I, I'm just curious why she could be so certain she wouldn't be healed. So I, I said, well, it, it won't harm anything. She said, no, it won't do any good. And now she's got my curiosity. How can she be so certain it won't do any good? So I said, well, what makes you think it won't do any good? Now, what I'm about to say is not meant to be a negative comment on a person with a healing gift. It could be me. It could have been Heidi. It could have been Bill Johnson. It just happened to have been Kenneth Hagin. And it's, I'm serious. I have no ax to grind here. I honor him, the life he lived, faithfulness he had. This is just the story. So she said, when I was first hurt, I hired an ambulance to take me to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to camp meeting where Daddy Hagen's at. And I believed if I could get there and if he could pray for me, I'd be healed. $400 for that ride. 
It's 400 miles. I don't know how many dollars. 400 miles it was. And she said, I went. Daddy Hagen prayed for me. I wasn't healed. Then she looked at me. She said, if I wasn't healed when Daddy Hagen prayed for me, I'm not about to be healed when you pray. <laughs> now, would you admit this is not the most pregnant moment for a healing to take place? <laughs> and I just said, listen, you still don't have anything to Please let me, let me just pray. And she said, okay. Honest to God, this is what she said. Okay, get it over with. So I don't know how to pray for the sick yet. I haven't had any classes on how to learn in the sense of how to see what God's doing and, and you know, how to speak to the condition rather than just petition. And so I, I, I know nothing. It was a pathetic prayer. Horrible. Many things I shouldn't have prayed, I did. Things I sh- should have, I didn't. So when I finished, I opened my eyes and I can see tears running down her face. And I thought, oh, I prayed and it got worse. (laughs) And she looked at me and she said, it's gone. And I said, what's gone? She said, the pain. And uh, the pain's gone. And being a great man of faith, I said, you're kidding. (laughs) Really? I mean, you really don't have any... Pain? No, it's gone. I, I, you're not kidding me. I mean, you're not just saying that for my sake. It really is gone? Yes. I don't think my feet touched the floor on the west ray out of the hospital. I'm not, I was so excited. I, I, it, was a, it was so exciting. It was a foretaste of things to come. It would still be a while before I would see a real major breakthrough. But that story was a season in my life when I almost never saw anybody get healed. I did not have, was not noted for someone who had more than an ordinary anointing for healing. So let's advance this 30 years down the road. I'm in Slough, England. The church is about 1,000 average attendance, which is big for England. My friend's the pastor of it. And I've taken a small team and we've trained a hundred other people to be the ministry team to help us pray for a, a healing means going to be at night. And, uh, and so in, in one of the preparatory uh, messages I gave, I mentioned praying for a guy in Anaheim Vineyard who was supposed to have a colostomy put on. He's putting ball bearings in his pocket so he wouldn't lose any weight. And he had Crohn's disease and he got healed. I'd, I'd mentioned that story. When I mentioned the story, there's a woman uh, right out in front of me, and she had an adult sister who had Crohn's, who's on disability, had been on disability for several years, and was just, Crohn's is really, really bad, and there's no cure for it. And uh, she was not a Christian, the, the sister that wasn't there, the sister of Crohn's was not a Christian. And so her Christian sister called her mother and said, we've got to get her to come, the first miracle, and the reason why I know all these details, years later, I got a letter from the family that, that told me all the details. So the first miracle was that she came. And so the next day when we're going to pray or night, we're going to pray for the sick. And I got a hundred people going to help me. We've been trained because our, my emphasis is not on me praying for the people. It's my job is to teach and train others and pray for them. 
And so that when we leave, there's a lots of people in that church are now going for it that weren't before. I'm, an, I'm to be an equipper. And, and so uh, it's time to pray. And so I step down into this line, and I'm actually the line that this woman's there, it's got Crohn's. And she said, you, you, as you came by praying for each one, and there's, there's you know, a bunch of other people out praying, and like a hundred more praying through the, there's over a thousand people that are being wanting to be healed. And he said, when you came to my sister, you skipped her. Now, I don't remember doing that. I didn't do it on purpose. I don't know why that would happen. She said, and I wanted to yell. This is the believing, the saved sister. I wanted to yell at you. You've got to come back and pray for my sister. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, don't look to a man. Look to me. So I didn't call you to come back. But the farther you went, getting away from my sister, the more I begin to pray. Okay, God, if not Randy, then uh, Wes, the senior pastor. And if not Wes, the senior pastor, one of the associate pastors. And if not one of the associate pastors, one of the five assistant pastors. If not one of the five assistant pastors, then an elder. But God, I don't want anybody less than an elder praying for my sister. And about that time, the youngest person on my ministry team, 12, can I pray for you? And the believing saved sister saying, oh God, no. And the unsaved sister said, yes. And when the little girl put her hand on the abdomen, the, proud, the power and presence of God flowed out of that 12-year-old hand into the sister. She gets totally healed of Crohn's, gets off disability, gets baptized, gets married, and is happy. So many people don't get prayed for by Christians because too many Christians believed, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I don't know enough. I'm not anointed. But if you make yourself available, and, and, and by the way, as long as you never try to do anything that takes God's power, you can be satisfied with yours. It's only when you begin to step out and begin to go pray for things that if God's got to, God has to show up or it's not going to happen that you become so much more dependent and dissatisfied living life without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit in you, and the fullness of the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. And they are of the same essence, co-equal, co-substantial. God in you is the hope of glory. Paul said, we have this mystery which has been hidden, which has now been revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. For Paul and John, glory is a synonym for power. Paul will talk about raised by the power of God and then turn right around and say, raised by the glory of God. John in chapter 2, verse 11, he was speaking after Jesus turned the water into wine. He said, and thus Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. The glory was revealed in the miraculous power that turned the water into wine. It is not self-centered to want to walk in the fullness of God and move in the gifts of God because these gifts are not yours. They're not mine. They're his. 
The Orthodox Church teaches that when we experience the gift of God, we are experiencing the presence of God. It's actually God in His energy moving through us. It's a very personal and relational thing. For these reasons, it's not selfish to want to experience the gifts because the least of all, the one of tongues, is the only one that you can use for yourself, build yourself up in holy faith. All the other gifts of the Holy Spirit are for somebody else. They flow you, through you, but they're not for you. They're to bless somebody else and make the presence and love of God more real to them. So I encourage you, don't listen to the lie of the enemy that says it's self-centered and it's selfish and to, to want to move in these things. No, it's about the glory of God. I remember I shot my rabbit. I can't chase it now because I only have seven minutes and 42 seconds left. Can't chase that rabbit. Um, <laughs> so, one story and two points. I want to tell you about Minnesota and uh, one of the most important moments in my life. Uh, this, is around, this is April after a Toronto had happened and uh, the revival in Toronto when I went there happened in January of the 20th of 94. It's three months later. I've been gone about, I was only gone six nights the first 19 years of marriage for my wife. Now I've been gone 20 days a month for uh, about a couple of months maybe. And I'm tired and I'm exhausted and when I get there, they, they don't they don't put me in a hotel, which is okay, but they, they, it's okay to be in a home, but it's not so good to be in a basement of a home that's not finished and the toilet doesn't work. It's just, especially if the evangelist is discouraged and tired, and a little bit depressed. And I've trained again about 100 people on the ministry team. About 20 churches are working together in this big building. It's an old penny store, so we don't even have to move the chairs to get to pray. And this particular night, uh, I said, those that you want the joy of the Lord, go over there. And about 1,500 of the 2,000 went over there, and 75 of my 100 ministering, they go over there. I'm thinking, hey, they don't need that many, just high, whole, fill, fill, fill. I need help over here, the sick. I only have 25 left, and then we have 500 sick people lined up that want to be prayed for. Sometimes, have you ever read the book Body Language? It's a book that was written, I think, in the 60s. It says language is more than what you say. You have a body language, like somebody, you're talking to somebody, and they're, that's not good. This is worse. And if you want to live, and if you're going to survive in ministry, I'm 51 years now in the ministry, you've got to learn how to avoid the, the anointing suckers and you got to find the anointing blessers. Now, the anointing suckers are the ones that sit in your pew and they don't like you and they would be glad for you to resign, leave, be fired, something. They look something like this. Mad, sad. You're looking for the ones that sit on the edge of the pew, leaning in, smiling, and saying, everyone's well, amen or if it's, or clapping. <laughs> That's what you look at. The others, anyway, so I'm tired and I don't know my body language is speaking. So I go to my line 
And so I said, um, so what's wrong with you? I prayed and nothing happened. So what's wrong with you? I prayed and nothing happened. So what's wrong with you? I prayed and nothing happened. The fourth guy is like this six foot six, broad shouldered, 60, 70 year old guy, gray, Norwegian descent, Swedish descent, Scandinavian descent. I said, so what's wrong with you? And he said, my big toes hurt. Now my body must have yelled at him because he actually recoiled when he saw how I responded to my body. He actually leaned back and said, no, 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 my toes do hurt. And you can't minister when your toes are killing you. And I realized by his response, uh-oh, my body language is really bad. I got to get a better bedside manner here. So I tried to put on my best pastoral hat and I said, oh, okay, uh, take your shoes and socks off. So he took his shoes and socks off and I got a, a big toe on each each hand. Now, tomorrow I'm going to talk about praying for the sick and, and, and just a relational prayer model and it involves five steps just to help remember. And the third one is speak to the condition. So I'm in step number three. Big toes, I command you to stop hurting. Toes, stop this hurting. All the pain, get out of those toes. Toes, stop this hurting in Jesus' name. And then the enemy comes to my, gets on my left shoulder and whispers in my ear, do you realize what, how stupid you look? You're talking to a guy's toes. It's come down to this. I remember looking up, hoping nobody I went to high school with could see me right now in, in the humiliation of this moment. And I realized I'm in trouble. 496 more to go. Nobody's getting healed. I don't want to do this anymore. Let's go to the house. And I, I, I had to use secret preacher prayer. Secret preacher prayer. Now, most of you have never heard it because secret preacher prayer is a well-kept secret. It's the kind of prayer that's so honest that if you heard it, it would suck every bit of the faith out of the room. So I went in, I still remember, it was 94. Oh God, where are you at? I'm here and we're supposed to be co-laboring. But where are you? God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm depressed. I miss my wife and kids. I had a one, three, eight, and 12-year-old then. I'd like to go back to the dungeon, I mean the basement and cover my head up and go, go home tomorrow. God, I need help. God is my witness. I've only had three closest thing to visions I could ever say. And this was one of them. All of a sudden, I see myself when I'm 12 years old getting ready to ride a horse for the first time since I was seven. My dad was a horseman. We had lots of horses on our farm. I grew up around horses. This big scar is the hoof print of a horse that kicked me and laid my skin. We could see my skull. I was, I was a terrible fear, anxiety of horses, of the hindquarters of horses after I was kicked. And I'm getting ready to ride. This is an actual moment out of my history that God touched the memory bank of. And I'm watching it take place. And my dad said to me, right before I get on the horse, son, if that horse throws you, you cannot go to the house because if you go to the house, you may never ride again and it will know you're afraid of it 
you've got, if it throws you, you get back up and you get on that horse and you ride it. You can't go to the house. And then the vision's over. I knew how to interpret it. See, I was tempted to go to the house. And I knew what that was for. And so I just continued to pray. And long story short, we prayed for a bunch of people. And man, I have to say, though, it was, it was a rough night. There may have been 25, 30 people healed, you know, uh, through myself and the others. It wasn't one of the highlights. It was a tough meeting. We had a lot of witchcraft going on. We had people coming in and doing lots of weird things. And, and, and so so the next night, actually at the end of that night, I went over to the side over here where all the joy is. And I prayed for one person and there's no one else to pray for. It's late. It's after midnight. And so this woman, I sat down in a chair and this woman came up. She said, you look tired. Can I pray for you? I said, yes, you can. And when she prayed for me, for the first time all night, I felt the anointing of God touching me physically. I could feel refreshing anointing. And when she finished, I didn't know who she was, but when she finished, I said, thank you. That really was refreshing. And she said, you're welcome. Would you pray for me now? I said, sure. More, Lord. And she said, no, 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 not more, Lord. Heal. I need healing. I said, what's wrong? She said, I'm dying. She's like 30 years old. I have 28 tumors in me. I got them in my lymph nodes, in my breast, um, in my neck. I prayed. The next day when she came back, she had an appointment already. All of them but two had disappeared. It was like in the middle. I'm glad I didn't go home. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I didn't go to the, to the house. But that next morning, the people who got healed late in the evening, who no one heard their testimonies, we'd line them up and they'd get together the next night, the, the testimony. And there's my Norwegian guy. I am so happy. We fought a big battle over him. And I'm on the edge of my chair. And I just can't wait to hear his testimony. He came up to the mic and he said, I just want to praise God. Last night, my high blood pressure got healed. And I'm thinking, high blood pressure. He didn't tell me he had high blood pressure. I didn't pray for high blood pressure. What about those toes? I never did hear if his toes got healed or not. But would you like to, for me to tell you what I felt? Of course, you didn't hear the first two stories, but what I felt was these people were healed. Would you like to know? When I'm praying for the sick, what I usually heal, what I usually feel when somebody's healed, would you like to know? I want, I want to teach you something. Can I tell you? Okay. 80, 90% of the time, I feel nothing. <laughs> nothing. Sometimes they tell me they feel something coming out, going in their body, but I don't feel it. I'm so glad my faith isn't based upon what I feel. And that's why I often will tell them, if you, if you begin to feel anything, tell me, because often they can before you could see it. And once I know, it's like if they, people start crying when you're sharing the gospel, you get encouraged. If I'm praying for somebody and they begin to tell me, because they could feel it for I could often see it. Something's happening. It encourages my faith. God is in you. The Holy Spirit wants to work through you. 
It's an invitation to be used to bring glory to him, the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit wants to do that. Jesus died at the cross to make this possible. It's really part of discipleship. It really, really is. And it's the most natural way to take, to, to actually lead somebody to Jesus is if they happen to say, I don't feel well. That's your invitation to, I'm a Christian. I believe that God can heal today. I, I did that for a year when I was frying donuts to start, start a new church. I didn't tell them I was a preacher. If any, I said, Lord, if anybody says they're sick, I'm going to ask them if I can pray for them. I'm going to say, I'm a Christian. I believe that God still heals today. Can, can I pray for you? You could be healed. Some are healed, some aren't. And for 11 months, I've worked in 60 or 80 different stores, three different states as a trainer. Every person I prayed for was not a Christian, except one one backslidden Presbyterian. And when the Lord came suddenly and opened her deaf ear, she just began to weep. And after 20 years of being out of church, because she'd been wounded in church, she went back to church because God's love met her in the Shekinah glory cloud called the smoking room of the Kroger store. And in that environment, he came and he touched her. Every person I prayed for in the Kroger stores that were lost got healed. I wished I could have said the same for in my church on Sunday morning. Every person we prayed for got healed. But there is something about the connection between healing and their hearts being softened to want to know the Jesus who healed them. As we're getting ready to have an invitation, would you stand? I'm not going to give the invitation to come to Jesus, but what I am going to do is I'd like to pray with you right now, and I want to give you, I want to ask you this question. If you have not prayed for the sick, if you don't pray for the sick, but you'd like to, would you just take a minute to bow your head? Don't even come forward. Just bow your head. And where you stand, just say, Lord, I want to do this. I want to be a disciple that tells people about your kingdom. Healing's in your kingdom. I want to learn. I want to have your love and your compassion. I want you to cause my eyes to see and my ears to hear the cries of people. I want to be used. The prayer I prayed right before I was so powerfully touched before I went to Toronto was this. I learned this one from John Wimber. I'm in it with all my heart. God, make me a coin in your pocket and spend me any way you want. I pray, Lord, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything if you'll just touch me one more time. Now, tonight, tomorrow, I pray that more of you will pray at least the spirit of that prayer. I promise you, if you do, your Christian walk will be more exciting. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly. 
So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.